guys. Well, if that blessed your heart, would you say amen? amen? Very thankful for each and every one of our summer workers. Just so you understand that all of these young people come and they serve for two months out of the year. It's on a voluntary basis. So we treat it like a long-term missions trip. We are unable to pay them uh, financially, so I remind them quite often that they will get rewards in heaven. <laughs> I don't know if that soothes them at all, but I am thankful for that volunteer spirit because they want to be here for the right reasons. And so we've been working on getting ready for this summer. We've been doing some training and learning everything that we possibly can, compact it into two weeks so that we're ready to roll. And so tomorrow we will have our first camp of the season. So I would ask that you be praying for us. And in just a moment, actually, you know, I really like to do this uh, before we dive into the message. I, I would like pastor to come up and maybe pray a prayer of dedication for all of us that are going to serve this summer. You know, if you've ever done anything like work uh, at a camp or you've done a mission trip, you understand that it, there's a lot of spiritual warfare that takes place. And there's a lot of resistance from the devil because in, in the matter of just two months, we're going to see a lot of young people come to Christ. That's a big deal. It's a really big deal, and I always feel the burden, I feel the weight, that we just need God's Spirit to be with us, to enable us to do the job. In fact, yesterday, I was made aware that our, our speaker for this week is really unwell. He was supposed to be preaching at one of our churches in the area, and he couldn't even do it uh, because he was, he was down with what appears to be a kidney stone. So, you know, that's just the way the devil works, and I believe that's a sign that something special is about to take place. And so I think we ought to go forward with sobriety and some humility. And I'm very thankful for Pastor. Uh, he's been involved with us ever since I've been here. I've had a great relationship, so I appreciate his concern and his love for the camp, as well as the church's support and prayers. And so I value that very much. And so, Pastor, why don't you give us a prayer of dedication for this summer? Let's bow our heads and hearts in prayers, if you would. Lord, we come to you again this morning. Lord, thanking you for your blessings, thanking you for all that you've done. Lord, thank you for the, the songs we were able to hear this morning. Lord, again, just touched my heart, but it also shows the idea and direction that each one of these camp volunteers have decided to turn their hearts to you. Lord, I know there's a lot of trials that are in front of them, dealing with different situations and different people. Each week's a new challenge a new person to, to struggle with possibly and being homesick and tired. And Lord, there's so many things that they're going to battle. And I pray, Lord, again, that you would give them strength that they need. Lord, even in the valley, we know you're good. Lord, as they face these trials, these heartaches, I pray that you will strengthen them. The strength in it can only come from you. Lord, I pray that you would bless them and help them. Again, to show the right example, to lead them to you. Lord, as they have different children that may be under their wings for the week, someone they may just may come across, whatever the case, Lord, I pray that each one of them would point them to the cross. Lord, that they would see souls saved. 
We pray for that frequently, but especially as they're away from other distractions and things, I pray that we would see many lives changed because of the glorious light of the gospel message that you've placed within us to share. So, Lord, I pray that you'll bless our camp, bless Brother Josh and all that he's doing. I pray that you would bless those that are working in the maintenance, Lord, preparing the food, being counselors, Lord, every aspect. Again, that you'd be honored and glorified, but you would bless them and help them, strengthen them as they continue to serve you. Lord, we love you, and again, we thank you for allowing them the opportunity to be here this morning to share with us what God is doing and will do in the future. We love you. Again, we thank you for all that you've done. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, friend. Love you. Hey, by the way, sis. Okay. Just double-checking. I didn't get the wrong one. All right, turn your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter number 11. As you'll turn in there, I just wanted to make a comment about my mustache, because uh, it's a little, <laughs> I've never had a mustache before, and I'm trying to determine if I look cool in it. Our theme is Retro Rewind, and so I figured, what better, I've got to bring back the stash. Yeah, and I just said it can't stop, uh, you know, admiring it, I think. Actually, she wakes up in the morning, she screams because she thinks it's another man, and I'm like, it's still your handsome husband, so don't worry. Uh, Lim, I convinced Lim to do a mohawk a little bit. You notice he's got it on the sides. Uh, I think he needs to do it even more. So we're trying to be cool and retro. I was thinking about that because uh, a couple years ago, I was preaching right here in this pulpit. And someone took a picture, and this was like right here. And we'll say it made it look like Charlie Chaplin uh, as opposed to some other notorious figure. And so I just kind of widened this out. So I, I don't think I'll have any problems with it, but just in case. All right, I'm going to do something that's a little outside of my box, something a little unusual for me. As an evangelist, wherever you go to speak, you are the gunslinger. So if I was to de describe an evangelist that's different than a pastor, a pastor has to work on certain things weekly. He's, he, he has to study everything. <laughs> an evangelist has to just be, he has to really be good, right? Because you come in, you hire the gunslinger. So whip that out. He better hit that target, right? If he doesn't, then maybe he won't get asked back. So that's kind of my mentality that I'm always going to be super ready to, to preach. Uh, within this last year, I, I've kind of changed that, that mode of pre preparation because I feel like sometimes I'm going in my own strength. And so what I'm doing to, this morning is a little unusual. I'm going to preach something that I don't think I'm quite ready to preach. And so... We've been talking at camp about being vulnerable to the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to just take a step of faith and share something I think God wants us to hear today. So if I take this step of faith, you have to do it with me. So, so how many of you are going to raise your hand, commit to, to paying attention and, and let the Holy Spirit talk to you? Raise your hands. All right. So no one fall asleep. No yawning. If you do, we're going to kick you in the tea and you won't get lunch because everybody can smell it already. So we're going to be engaged. We want to feed from the word, right? Amen. Are you at John chapter 11? I want to talk to you about this topic of how to deal with waiting. Because nobody likes to wait. It's against our nature to delay, to not get things on our own timetable. That's in human nature, but can we be honest? That's also a problem with American culture. 
We are a generation of people that we get things when we want right away and we have it our way. But the reality is, is that's not how life works. And a lot of times, that's not how God works. In fact, usually he does things on his timetable, not yours. When it does seem like they meet, that's because that was in God's timetable. He brought you to where he wants you to be. But a lot of times he has you wait because he has something way better in store for you. And there's no better passage to see this displayed and played out than in the life of Martha, her sister Mary, and of course you know the brother that was raised from the dead, Lazarus. That's what John chapter 11 is all about. So let's start reading of verse number 1. It says, Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. In verse number three, we're going to see a prayer petition. Therefore, his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. You can see that their petition was made with some personal affection. They understand that the Lord Jesus is doing miracles all about Judea. And at this moment, he's away from Judea. Uh, he's away from Bethany. He's in Beth Barbera. So it's a little bit of a day's journey in that time period. So they sent a messenger. You could say they sent a prayer request so that the Lord would come or he would just do a miracle from a distance because they obviously had seen him do that. There's nothing that the Lord can't do. I believe they believed that. So you would assume it'd be natural because it's not just somebody. No, this was the individual that the Lord Jesus had a personal relationship with. You would think that that type of petition, that type of appeal would draw the attention of the Lord. Now watch this. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, Jesus loved Martha, his, her sister, and Lazarus. By the way, I like how it said that. Could have said, Jesus loved Martha's family. But you could say, Jesus loves Victory Baptist Church. But I like it, the fact that he loves Tim Llewellyn. He likes Josh Burkholder. He likes Jonathan DeBlanc. He likes Jacinda Burrow. He loves each and every one of us the same. He loves us collectively, but he loves us personally. That's the God that we love and serve. Verse number six, when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still. Now, isn't that interesting? Why would God do such a thing? He abode two days still in the same place where he was. Now, Martha and Mary, they struggled with this. Here's a real legitimate need in their life. There needed some intervention on their brother's life. We pray for the very same things. And we go to a God who can heal. And yet the Lord delayed coming to heal Lazarus. Look at, what, look at how they responded. Look at verse number 21. When Jesus finally does come. After Lazarus had already died. By the way, I'm assuming most everybody in this crowd knows this story. So I'm just going to progress along. Lazarus died. It's been a couple days. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, can you feel the, you almost feel the tension in the tone. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. 
Now that phrase must have been repeated constantly within the family. They must have talked about this because that phrase is exactly what is said by Mary in verse number 32. It says, Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down his feet saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. So they had war-gamed this all themselves. They were armchair quarterbacking the whole situation, and they apparently knew what the better deal was. Right. Apparently, they knew how to order the Lord's step as opposed to the Lord ordering their steps. Lord, you know, if Jesus would have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And now, by the way, they also know he could raise from the dead. He'd already done it before. So, hey, Lord, if you would have been doing this and doing that, then we'd have no problem. We wouldn't be in this situation. We wouldn't be experiencing pain. We wouldn't be experiencing all the sufferings in this life if you had just showed up. Right. Now, the Lord wants to teach all of us a lesson because we've all been in these shoes. We've all had needs in our lives, and we've all prayed and poured out our heart before the God that can heal and do whatever he wants. Right. So what is the lesson in this? We'll look at verse number 14. Verse number 14, this is when Jesus is discussing with the disciples because they couldn't get it either. They were struggling with this as well. Then said Jesus unto them, plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad. Did you, did you see that word? I am glad? Or did we not talk about that in Sunday school? Oh, Jesus was glad? About what? I'm glad for your sakes? Oh, yeah, this is for your good? And my glory, I was not there to the intent that ye may what? Believe. Nevertheless, let us go to them. Well, Jesus has a plan for everything. And it's a good thing. I want to talk to you this morning, the joy in waiting for Jesus. Are we not waiting? Aren't you ready for Jesus to come back and restore things? Aren't you sick of what's going on in society? This is a mess. Man, I would throw away all of it to get a new body. I'm tired of the struggles of this life. I'm ready for King Jesus. I'm ready to watch all those politicians kneel before him. Of course, I will too. But I'm ready to see them do it. I'm ready to hear from their mouth instead of a lie that Jesus is Lord. They won't like saying it, but I'm ready to hear it. Why the wait? Oh, is, there, is it possible? There is something good for Jesus to lay. I'm here to tell you there is joy in waiting for Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you again. Lord, we're allowing your Holy Spirit to lead in this situation. I pray that we would all respond in the correct manner and that you, Lord Jesus, would get all the glory. We pray this in your name and God's people said. Amen. I, I just want to focus on three specific things. If you were to write an outline, I'll give you the overview. First of all, we're going to talk about the hardship, the difficulties in waiting, okay? Because if we're going to focus on the joy, we probably should identify all the struggles to get to the joy. And then that'll lead us into the hope. Because God doesn't want you to be left over here suffering and sad and mopey about your situation. He wants you to focus your attention on the real hope in the moment and the promises that he has for us. And then we're going to put it into practice, okay? So that would be the hour, okay? So there is the hour of temptation. There is the hour of his return, but we're not there yet. We're in the hour of waiting. That's what this life is all about. So how should we conduct ourselves? So first of all, here we go. Let's talk about the difficulties and the hardship in waiting, 
And I see three struggles in the life of Martha and Mary and, of course, the disciples and everybody else that was present for this situation. I see, first of all, it was difficult to wait for Jesus because, first of all, it was inconvenient. It was a real inconvenience in their life. They suffered some loss at the waiting of the Lord. And there's two specific things that was driving this. First of all, they, it was inconvenient that there was a sickness. Here it says that their friend Lazarus was sick. And that is just the curse of the, of the sin of the world. Is that there's some repercussions of sin. There's an outpouring effect of the sin-cursed world. And that is sickness and maladies. Hey, at 35 years of age, I had to go before a doctor. Have my chest cracked and open because I had an aneurysm that was about to explode. I had to change out this defaulty aortic valve that needed to be replaced. And I'm only 37. I've already had heart surgery. You know what? I'm tired of the sickness. I find it to be an inconvenience. It was an inconvenience when I had this, when I was trying to build my house and build a new cabin at the camp. Let me tell you, that was the worst time to have heart surgery, at least by my eyes. You know why? Because I found it to be an inconvenience. I remember when the doctor said, well, you hit this certain spot at the size of your aneurysm. There's no, you have to have surgery. And so I remember uh, I got the news that I was probably going to have surgery, but I was in limbo and waiting. I remember calling my dad because my dad had been through it all before. You know, it's his fault, his genetic gene pool that corrupted me. And so I remember calling my dad thinking, yeah, I, you know, I should probably get some uh, idea of what to expect. And I said, dad, it looks like I might be having surgery. And he goes, ah, nah, you're too young for that. No, nah, you know, listen, they always talk about worst case scenario. Josh, you'll be fine. And the very next day, I went before the cardiologist. The first, two, first words out of his mouth, he goes, well, you saw all the numbers. You know what this means. You have to have surgery. And I'm like, dad, that's not what, I was, that's not what you told me, you know. And we just don't understand. And I thought, man, what an inconvenience this is. You know, many of you in this room are going through some physical pain of some nature. Some of you are going through some mental pain of some nature. And you know what? It's an inconvenience in your life. But apparently God has a plan for why you struggle with that. So it was an inconvenient of the sickness, but then it was inconvenient just to wait. Because if there's somebody that can deal with the issue, it's God. And yet we are waiting for him to restore all things. He has done a down payment in salvation, and we are progressively becoming more like Christ, but I still struggle with this. It won't be until the day where I get a glorified body that all things will finally be resolved. Yeah, so waiting is an inconvenience. I think sickness is an inconvenience. I also see that it's difficult to wait for Jesus because we're frankly ignorant of what he is doing. We live in what's called the space-time continuum. So you and I, we have, a big, we have a past, a present, and a future. There is a beginning to our life, and there's an end to our life. We exist on a timetable, but that's not so with God. In fact, his main title is called the I Am, which means he's the self-existing God. He exists outside of this time dimension, and he just is there. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. There's no beginning with God. There's no end with God. He's never changed. He always is. And you know what? It's hard to understand that because we don't exist in that. And so we like to rationalize. We like to put God in a box and you know, kind of make him what we think he ought to be. And that's just not who he is. And if you could put God in your box, he ceases to be God. You know, frankly, we're just ignorant. We just don't know everything. We're very limited. 
I don't even know what's for dinner. I know there's food, but I don't know what's there. I don't know what my triple I could be home. I could get in a wreck. Anything can happen at any moment because I'm a limited, finite individual. It's difficult because it's inconvenient. We're ignorant. I also think it's difficult because our sin nature makes us impatient. Yeah? Let me tell you, I'm the chiefest of sinners of, at being impatient. Can I get a witness out there? You know, and my sin nature shows up a lot at dinner time. And that's why I want to be timely here, which we're already past, but you're, gonna, you're okay with that, right? I, you know, the singing took a little bit. I'll try to be quick. Hey, listen, when I have people over at my house, all my friends, my family, they know how I am with this. If, when we say we're going to have a get-together at my house to eat, and we say 6 o'clock, that's when I want to eat. A lot of times we'll be there, and uh, food's ready to go. It's hot. I like hot food. And so I'll say, all right, guys, uh, well, let's get together and pray. Jacinda will say, well, not everyone's here. It's not my fault. Did we not send out the schedule? Did we not say 6 o'clock? Who likes cold food? Anybody like cold food? No. What? Then we better pray. Well, do you think we should get the kids upstairs? Why? It's not like they're going to listen to my prayer anyway. They'll just be goofing off the whole time. I think that's disrespectful. How about I just pray and we'll let them catch up with us? You know, I got a reason for everything. You know, I like my pizza hot. How many of you like hot pizza? Now, I understand there are a lot of cold pizza fans. Raise your hands. Now, listen, I'm not a cold pizza fan, but I feel like hot pizza fans and cold pizza fans have something in common. We either like it cold and we like it hot and we respect that. None of us like lukewarm. So let's make sure we eat right away. Yeah, I get impatient. Then I'm the first one in line. You know why? Because a lot of times, you know, it's, our, it's the right thing to do. Ladies go first. And what do they do? Well, they just kind of, you know, just want to talk. The ladies don't want to be like gluttons going up there. And so everybody's just kind of waiting. The guys are sitting there and they're trying to keep it together. And they're, you know, ladies go first. Oh, I'm not a, you know, I'm not an animal. I'm not an animal. No, I'm waiting. Inside they're like, come on! What are you doing? Now I understand the struggle. So I want to take off the edge and be the first guy to break the ice. See the need? Take the lead. I go right up. I don't have any, I have no qualms about that because I'm helping you. You know what? I'm also the first in line for seconds. Because I'm ready to eat. I'm ready to go for seconds. Now, by the time we're done eating, my conscience is pricked because I realized I've been an animal, <laughs> right? You know why? Because I'm impatient. I mean, you, you are too. We're all impatient. It's our sin nature. That's what makes it difficult to wait for God. I see the hardship, but now God wants us to focus on the hope. He wants to focus on the hope. And First of all, I want you to see number four. The hope was in the purpose of what he was doing. In verse number four, Jesus laid out clearly the whole plan for his disciples and for everybody here today that are struggling with the waitings of God. He says in verse number four, this sickness is not unto death. He's talking about eternal, the total separation or the end game. Okay, yes, he did physically die, but that's not going to be the end result. He says, but for the glory of God. That the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Jesus came with the mission to reveal God. He was the Son of God. He was the Son of Man. And the Son of Man came to reveal that He was the Son of God. It's the, uh, the most poignant uh, uh, interaction between God and man when Jesus came to earth. 
There's nothing like it in the whole plan was so that God could reveal himself to you. He's manifesting, he's externalizing his glory so that you would see it with your eyes and believe. And my friends, we have a record here where we can see God. Yes, I want to see him physically, but this is what it is. It's the record that God did come to this world. He gave us a promise that we will see him again. Oh, that's the rev aren't you thankful for the revelation of God? You know, just within this chapter, I see a lot of revelation. I, I see that he came to me. You know, he came to Mary and Martha. He came into this world. I also see that he revealed that he loves me. You know, he said he loves Martha, Mary. Uh, he, he loved Lazarus. And the whole point is that he loves each and every one of us today. I also love the revelation that he empathizes with us. He's not a God that's out of touch with humanity. You know, he was just this great clock uh, maker and he set everything in motion and then he's so detached and out of touch with reality. No, 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 no. He, he became man. He was tempted in all points like we are yet without sin so that we could come boldly before the throne of grace and obtain grace and mercy in our time of need. Well, aren't you thankful he understands this? John eleven thirty five. You know it because there's only two words. One of the most famous verses in all the Bible is that Jesus wept. And Jesus cries because you cry. And he understands what you're going through. Nobody like Jesus understands you. Oh, I love that revelation. I love the revelation that he did something for me. He came with a mission. He went to the cross. And he raised, he was raised from the dead. And that's the whole theme in John chapter 11. The seventh uh, great sign in John's book to prove that he's the son of God. And it was focused on the resurrection. Look at what he says to Martha in verse number 25. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. That's a promise to all those that have died physically. That if you had your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be with the Lord forever and ever. And he'll bring your body up one day. But then there's also a promise, hopefully for you and me, where if we are still alive, when the trumpet rings, we'll be changed. In verse 26, it says, And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Hey, let me tell you, that's about the rapture. And I believe it can happen at any moment. Oh, I, I hope we are 26. I don't want to be 25. I hate getting old. But if we're 26, praise the Lord. In other words, we're okay. No matter what, you're okay. Why? It's not that Jesus could raise people from the dead. He is the whole essence of resurrection life. That's who he is. I love the revelation of God. This is our hope. So I see the revelation, I understand the resurrection, I see the rapture. And let me tell you, that ought to give you great hope. Great hope. There's no reason why you should be despondent in this life. Oh boy, the politics and the, boy, who's going to get an election next year? Who cares? They're just pawns with, in God's hands. He's the one that puts kings up and he's the one that takes them down. They will do nothing past his watch. Whether it's the person you voted or whether it's the person you didn't vote. God's still in control. That's my hope. That's my hope. So we see the hardship. I understand the hope. But then I'll close with this real quickly, okay? The hour. So let's put it into practice. There's three things that we need to work on. Number one, while we wait, you should externalize your faith. 
In verse number four, the whole purpose is so that God's glory would be shown out. And it's the same way, way with you and me. If we believe God, the instructions from our masters that we should let our lights shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. So if you say you believe God, prove it. Amen. Show it out. Let people know that God is your Savior. Manifest it. Externalize it. Number two, while you wait, you should not only externalize your faith, you should energize your faith. Amen. In verse number 15, he says, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that you may believe. Now, is that like the initial belief? No, it wasn't because they already were following Jesus. So he's talking about growing and stretching their faith. And do you know every day there's a stretching? When I got saved as a young boy, I didn't fully understand my salvation. I just knew that God was the only way to heaven. And if I don't go, if, if he's not my savior, I'm going to hell. There's a kind of a limited understanding, but I got saved that way. You know, as I grew and I took steps of faith, I understand the whole ramifications of my salvation. I understand what he did at the cross. I understand the, the um, principle of atonement, propitiation for sins. I understand the, the degree to which he came to reach me. And I kept taking steps of faith. I was growing. I was being stretched. So not only doctrinally in my head, but also experientially. So every day I would experience a new challenge and a new trial. And as I grew and I trusted God, he was stretching me in my faith. That's what God wants to do with you. He wants you to be so uh, independent with your faith. With your faith. Not apart from your faith, with it. It's incredible. So you should be growing. Hey, do you know the book? Do you know Jesus? You know, if you're struggling with some thoughts about this world and you're wondering what's going on, then your face is in the Facebook and not in the real book. Amen. Be in the word. Get to know your God. Energize your faith. And then thirdly, we should evangelize sinners with our faith. Amen. Look at verse number 45. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen these things which Jesus did, what did they do? Believed on him. Hey, summer staff. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. This whole period of training, we're wanting to evangelize young people. We want them to be changed through and through because of Jesus. You know what God wants you to do? Not be the best counselor. Not be the good kitchen worker. No, he wants you to shine Jesus. That's your main job. That's my main job. And everybody else in this room, that's your job. Because the reason why there's a delay right now, the Bible says it's because God is long-suffering. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Hey, aren't you thankful God waited for you? Amen. I was born in 1986. You know, there were some prophecy people that said he was going to come in, I think, somewhere in the 80s. Maybe it was 85. No hope for me. I'm, I'm glad he waited. Aren't you glad he waited for you? Did you deserve it? No, you didn't. None of us did. 
But I'm glad he loves me so much. He waited so that I could get saved. You know, I keep thinking sometimes, man, wouldn't it be great if God could just come right now, like right now before summer camp? Because summer camp's a lot of work. It's so much work. But then God reminds me, what about those, I don't know, 50, 75 kids who get saved? Hey, Josh, could you wait just two months for that? Yes, Lord, I could. Because God loves kids. He loves you. So while we wait, let's be glad and live for him. Amen? I'll close with this. I was preaching at a camp in Wisconsin a couple years ago. And um, I was going to fly out of this rinky-dink airport. I can't even remember the town it was. But my, my friend that had organized the camp and all that, he, he was going to take me. And, of course, you know, you know how flying is. I got a delay on the day I was supposed to go home. So, you know, you're already kind of, like, getting this nauseous feeling. Like, oh, great, today's going to be a bad day at an airport where there's nothing to do. So he dropped me off at the delayed time, checked me in, and what do you know? Another delay. And so I'm trying to keep it together and not throw my fruits of the spirit at every person that passes by me. And finally, they told us, well, folks, there's been an issue with your plane. That's why there's such a delay. Because the day was perfect. It was sunny. It was August. There was nothing wrong with the weather. So it's something with the plane. But hey, folks, we're going to reroute you, and we're going to send you to Minneapolis, and then we'll get you home. So I thought, okay, well, that's not too bad. Finally left this part, this city of Wisconsin. I can't remember what it was, but I went to Minneapolis, and I had a seven-hour layover there just to get to Kansas City. I mean, by this time, I could have just driven home. So I'm super grumpy. I'm super upset, and I'm so tired. I'm ready to see my family. I want to go home. Interestingly, uh, Colleen on our staff here, you and your siblings ran into me. Remember that? That was that day. They were going on a mission trip to Alaska, and we found each other in Minneapolis. I mean, it was such a small world. So, so I'm sitting there. I'm trying to keep it together. I'm really upset. I finally flew out at like 9-something in the evening back to Kansas City. And so now when I fly, I don't know about you, uh, I'm not the preacher that's going to tell you all the stories about winning people to Christ in the plane. Because when I travel, I want to just be alone. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I just want calm, comfort. Now, God opens up doors sometimes, but usually I'm not looking for it. I like to just get to my destination. Well, on the plane to Kansas City, I remember they're sitting next to a guy, and his name was Jacob, and we just started talking about his life. He was a college student. He was asking me about what I do. And so, you know, I was trying to be quick and direct because I felt like I looked grumpy. So it was like, what do you do? Well, I run a camp. Oh, I didn't say it was a Christian camp. I didn't say all that. I run a camp. Oh, well, what were you doing in Wisconsin? I, was, I said, well, I was preaching at a camp. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a camp, Christian camp director. I'm an evangelist. <laughs> he goes, oh. Well, then he, that door just opened, and it was all about salvation. It's about the gospel. So I, I just walked into that door, and I could sense that God was telling me <laughs> the whole purpose of that day was for that guy. And I finally looked at him and said, you know, Jacob, don't you understand? I wasn't supposed to be here today. God delayed my whole day just so I could be with you. Do you not understand that? So all his questions about God and faith, I knew how to persuade him because I understood what Jesus was doing. Did you know after that conversation, my spirit was just... And I thought, what a waste of a day of being grumpy. 
because that's what it was all for. So just remember that accidents on your timetable are just incidents in God's timetable. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? Let's have a moment to pray and just respond.